Can you hear me okay? Now, was I the only one who got excited when Vince said that Joe was going to preach, or what? <laughs> My name is Richard Fenimore, and I am the relief pitcher. I'm the guy who gets to do one inning, and if I throw one across the plate, everybody's happy and I'm good. <clears throat> We're, um, I, I titled this uh, Partners with God. It's the, the next stage of where we're at in Galatians. It's Galatians uh, 6, 4 through 6. Point at the ceiling? Oh, ah, you know, you know I, I work in electrical engineering. You would actually think I know this one, you know. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> See, pastors do it all. Um, this verse right here, this is to the Galatians, uh, obviously. And the, the first two verses, 4 and 5 here, are actually kind of a follow-up on verses 1 through 3. You know the part we talked about last week, being caught in sin and being careful not to judge and things like that. Um, but interestingly enough, these, these, these two verses kind of stand by themselves. And uh, it says, uh, each one should test their own actions. And the word test here is to examine or to discern. Um, but what I like about it is this next piece. It says, when they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And what that tells us is that we compare each other all the time. But God doesn't work on that. Okay? An example would be you can have the greatest um, unbeliever and you can have the, less, the, the, less, the least, the worst unbeliever, and they both go to hell. Okay? God does not grade on a curve. Okay, he doesn't grade us on a curve. He doesn't grade them on a curve. Okay? God grades us on us. Is that you will be standing before the Lord, as we all know, in the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be you and, your, and yourself. It will be the opportunities that God will know all that truth. And you will be measured by yourself. So that's why he's saying here, you need to compare yourself with yourself. You don't compare yourself with your wife or your husband. You compare yourself with yourself. Okay? And that's with respect to your relationship with God and what God puts before you. Verse 5 says, for each one should carry his own load. Um, and this means that we all have, this is the word load here is actually the word for a burden, uh, something that is burdensome. And this is what we do in our lives. We carry our burden, um, and, and we're required to carry those burdens, especially as Christians we are. But this word is a very unique word for burden um, in that it has a, a connotation in it that says that there is something in that burden that's going to shed light on something that you should pay attention to. Okay? That's an unusual word. Uh, their, their words are not like our words. The Greek words are actually very, very uh, insightful. They have things in them. Now, the core of, of what I'm going to be talking about is verse 6. And, uh, but note the worst, first word it says this is nevertheless. And, and nevertheless always is kind of a, um, I look at it as a, a, an abrupt word that sits there and says, okay, we're done with that. Regardless of what I just said, let's start right here. This is the part we're going to come to. So he's saying nevertheless. It means no excuses. It means we're done. This is where we start. And um, it says the one who receives instruction. And I'm going to read the word, and then I'm going to explain it, because it's not, it's not intuitive to me. Um, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Sounds like you're taking a gym class, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. But what it's saying here is says, the one who receives this, just to tell the one who receives is you. Okay? That's you. You in the congregation. 
That's the context of this. The word where it says the word should be capitalized. This is the word of God. Okay? All the word of God. Not the gospel, not the, just all the word, the whole piece. So it has that piece to it. And it said, should share. Now, what I thought was interesting about the word share, and you can't see it in the English as easily, but it's actually, it's, it's what means you should continue to share. And it's also not written, and it's written in a word that was called, it's called the imperative. It means it's a command for you. This is God, this is, this is Paul revealing a command to the Galatians and to us that we need to share. Now, what's interesting about it to me is that when I first looked at this word, and I was looking kind of at the grammar because I like to do that, helps me understand things, it's not in the singular. I mean, it's not in the plural, it's in the singular. Which means when you have a third person singular, and I know I don't want to get off that, it means you. Not you, you, or you. It's talking to you personally and individually. Okay? God the Holy Spirit wrote this. Okay? So what he's saying, he's not talking a collective you. He's talking an individual you, okay? And this word share here is, the, is, the, is a piece that two says, to be a sharer in, okay? Now, the word all good things here happens to have a word on it. I talked about it about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. It's the word agathos. It's where we get the, word ag- the name agatha. But it means good things. It means good things that are not just good things in a human sense, but things of God that are good, um, the example of it is that if you remember when the rich man called Jesus good, Jesus questioned him and said, why do you call me good? Only good is God. He corrected him. He corrected his doctrine. This is talking about that good things. And the good things here are talking about the blessings that God gives you as a congregation based on the word of God. When you take the word of God and you put it into your life and you accept that truth and you actually use it, you get blessings from it. You know? Most of us came in as Christians, maybe on the little, I'll say we were a little on the unkept side, you know? meaning that we weren't very clean, we weren't very structured, we weren't very acceptable. But God has cleaned that up. What happens is we become different people. God has changed that in us. Now the piece here says their instructor, um, I'll tell you what the word means. What it means, it's a very unusual word for pastor. It's not, it's not the word pastor like we normally see. We see diakonos. We see all kinds of words, shepherd. But this word here means a person who shares instruction orally. Okay? Guess who that is? Him, by the way. So you didn't catch that. I thought I would just give it a little. That's the only flair you're going to get tonight. Um, but it's, it's God's servant. Okay, it's God's servant. And what this is saying is, and, and this will be real more in, in the next one, it means that the, the, the gist of it is that you have a responsibility as a congregation that as the pastor has taught you the word of God and that word of God has changed your life and blessed it, you have a responsibility to look after him. Okay? Specifically, it's talking about financial uh, responsibility. Um, now, what I want to do about money, I love talking about money, but you know something? People hate it when I talk about money. They hate it. I love talking about money because it's the great, it's the great divider, okay? Um, everybody's interested in doing something until you say, well, it costs something, and everybody walks away, okay? Um, so it's a great divider. So what I want you to do, I want you to just please me for just a second. We're going to have a little bit of a game here. And what I want you to do is look to the person onto your left and onto your right and said, this money stuff is about you, not about me. 
Okay? So by doing that, my hope is that you can actually listen to the doctrine and the principle because I'm not here to convict anybody. That's the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's between you and God. I don't know what finances anybody has. All I know is that this is what God says. Okay? So try to take it out of the money part. Uh, leave it where it's at. And, but understand that uh, this is a principle of God. And, and it's so important that it shows up over and over again. And right here in 1 Corinthians, it, it has a, um, this is a very similar context. The difference is he, that he takes it and he gives us examples and he, and he speaks it clearly to us. So he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No one does. Okay? We pay our military. Why? Because they do stuff that is really awful that we don't want to do. And you know something I love them for? We have two military guys who I personally know here. They're fantastic men, and, um, but they deserve more than they get. So that, that's the principle. Okay? Uh, he who plants uh, a vineyard, does he not eat the grapes? Well, if he doesn't eat the grapes, you pay him, right? Nobody does your grapes. Nobody does your, your vineyards for nothing. Nobody does that stuff. The next one is that who tends the flo a flock and does not drink its milk? Um, we, we know these principles. These are basic principles, which is why Paul brings them up to the Corinthians. Verse 8, it says, he says, I say this, uh, do I say this uh, merely on a human authority? Um, does, doesn't the, uh, the law say the same thing? And what he's doing, he's doing a, a human viewpoint comparison to God's viewpoint, okay? And what he's saying, even from a human point of view, you know this is true. But God also says it's true. And he brings up this example here. He says, he says um, verse 9 says, For it is written in the law of Moses. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 25.4, by the way. Uh, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And, um, and, he's, and his question here is that this statement, he's, he's trying to help them dig deeper into the statement. So he says, is it about uh, the ox that God is concerned? That's kind of a mocking question. It's a mocking question. Because if you answered it, um, yes, you'd be an idiot. Okay? So he's, God's kind of mocking us with that and, and through, through Paul. And he says, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes. He doesn't leave it up for you to think about it. Yes, this is written for us. This is written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Okay? And this is the word I'm looking at, the word sharing. It means to partake in. Okay? Um, this, is the, this is that same principle. And that's what he's trying to drive them to because the Corinthians are kind of dense. You know? They're very money-oriented, very similar to our society. Um, I was thinking as coming up here, I can't actually think of anything that has uh, more, uh, that would be more of a God, small g, to our society than money. It's, it's numero uno. Unless you happen to be in Washington, D.C., then it's power and money, but that's here and there. That was my only joke for the night, by the way. Um, so verse 11 says there, if we have sown spiritual seed, and he's talking about if he's talking about Paul, Timothy, and Titus, uh, and maybe Apollo, uh, if we have, and that's the first class condition says yes, and we have, that's what it really says, we have sown spiritual seed among you. That's a statement of fact. He's Paul saying, I have done this for you. Um, and he says, is it too much to ask if we reap material harvest from you? That's sarcasm. 
Okay, just in case you didn't know, sometimes it's fun to look at sarcasm. And how you know that? Because it says, it, is it too much to ask? That's what that is, okay? Um, and what this means is, if you remember the story, we actually did First Corinthians back a while ago. If you remember the piece on this, what happened is that Paul did not work for them for money, remember? He didn't want to burden them. He didn't want them to think he had an agenda. So he worked for them, and he, and, and he preached them, and he started churches, and he didn't get paid a dime. And then these idiot uh, Judaizers came in, and they said, well, Paul's not, he didn't ask for money because he's not worth any money. You, know, you have to follow the mosaic, and they let him, the Judaizers let him right off the pass. And guess what? They paid them. They paid the Judaizer teachers. So that's his piece right here. That's why he's mocking it. Note the material part, okay? Note the material part. The part where here it says it's uh, sown the spiritual seed, this is the doctrines in the word of God. Those, you can tell, these are the things that change our lives. It is the word of God. 1 Timothy 5, 17, and 18. I left that second 17 up there because I forgot it. These are instructions to the church. Um, This verse tells us exactly who these principles apply to. Okay? Um, the Word of God works like this. When God says something, he puts all these pieces in other places, in other contexts, so that you can kind of sew them together and get the entire picture and know who he's talking about and who he's talking to. Okay? Um, the verse says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church. Now, the elders word is a thing that has lots of confusion. It's the word presbyteros. It's just where we get the word presbyterian. But in all the contexts I am aware of, it is usually re- referring to pastors, a group of pastors in an area, okay, teaching at different local churches. And this is kind of what the context reveals here. It says, uh, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, okay, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, okay. That is what pastors do. They not only, the first piece, they not only take care of the affairs of the church, but they preach and teach, I don't know if you know much about Joe or if you, but trying to get Joe not to think about the church is impossible. He thinks about it day and night. He studies for hours and hours and hours. He is this guy who deserves the double honors. Okay? And he says, for the scriptures say, and this is, this is where he's trying to take them to, again, for Timothy. And if you remember, this is the instructions to the church. The book of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, are to do the protocols and, and the functionality of the church. Okay? That's what it's directed at. So this is where this is, verse 18 comes. It says, for it says, do not muzzle the ox, an ox while it's treading out the grain. That's that same quote from Deuteronomy 24.5. From the Old Testament. And he also puts in another piece here. He says, and the worker deserves his wages. See, he's getting to this point that the church congregation, the local, has the responsibility of supporting the pastor completely. Okay? The shame of the Corinthians was that they did not take care of Paul, Timothy, or Titus. Shame on them. Okay? And that's why they were such a wreck. When people do not follow, when churches do not follow the word of God, they, they become a wreck. Okay? The worker deserves his, his wages is an example of the New Testament. It comes from uh, Luke 10, 7. And if you remember, this is when Jesus sent him out two by two. Remember when he sent him, he sent out 72 of them, he sent out two, uh, two by two. When he, what he told them to do is he says, whatever you do, and this was within Israel, uh, you go out and you, and you preach the word of God. You talk about who Jesus Christ is. And you, and you, and you go out throughout the, 
the uh, community and you do that, and wherever you stay in that thing, because they were going long distances, uh, it was required that the people who they stayed with fed them. And that's what this statement says. He says, the worker deserves, deserves his wages. I was thinking about my dogs when I was looking at this. I know that sounds pretty funny. But you know something? Our dogs have a responsibility. We live out in with lots of land. And, and um, you know, uh, my wife every once in a while will throw them out and say, go do your job, you know. Meaning that, but you know something? They go out and do, they protect, we have some, we have some wild, uh, some livestock. But when they go out there, it's their job to protect us. It's their job to protect our chickens. It's their job to protect our area. And guess what? We feed them. That's right, we feed them. And that's the whole point of this thing. That's our point. You have dogs, you have things that do things. You have a responsibility to take care of them. Okay. Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Actually, this is... Um, so it says, now, brothers and sisters, uh, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to, to the Macedonian churches. This is the key piece I want, because this is really uh, talks about the uh, part, partaking and, and, and participating. Um, and I'll read the whole thing first, and I'll kind of come back to it. Um, in the midst of a very severe trial, um, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's, Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to all the Lord, all to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Now, this takes a little bit, of, what I want you to focus is on is that second sentence where it says, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, the Macedonian churches is, is northern Greek, if you know where it's at. It's specifically talking about the, Philipp, uh, the Philippian church. Okay? Um, the Philippian church, at the time he writes this, uh, let, let's get some perspective, okay? Uh, and I want to give you some perspective. This is a six-year-old church. Six years old at the time he writes this. Okay? And I want you to note that they are in severe trial, extreme poverty, and they gave beyond which they were able, even more. What that jumps out of me is that, you know something? Nobody has an excuse. You don't have an excuse. You can tell me anything you want to tell me. You can tell us all this stuff. But you know something? When we stand before God, God's going to judge every one of us individually. That's how it is. I, I didn't make it. I just understand it. The second part I want to look at is their attitude. You know what an attitude is that looks like when it loves God? You know what it looks like? This is what it looks like. And I'll tell you a second here. It says, their attitude I'm quoting here says, overflowing joy. That's the happiness of God. We talked about that. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. They urgently pleaded with us. Urgently. For the privilege, privilege of sharing their money in their poverty, in their persecution with Paul for the work of God so that he could do that work and share that spiritual seed we were talking about to the, all the people in the Roman Empire. 
Hmm. I don't know what to do with these people. If you've ever read the book of Philippians, and I'm about halfway through it, I've been working on it for months, these are the most mature church in the world in the first century. There's nobody like them. And we'll find out more about them. But they are the most mature church. There's nobody like them in the world, and they're six years old. They were dying for their faith. The last two verses of this, I'm just going to complete this, but it has some pieces in it. It says, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring us also to completion this act of grace. The act of grace was their giving. Okay? Um, and I'll just give you an insight to, to that. The amount of money that they gave Paul when he was in prison is estimated at being over a million dollars. Okay? How do poor people do that? All of them do it. <laughs> That's how they do it. They all give what their heart tells them, what their relationship with God is. The difference between them and everybody else, in my opinion, all the other churches, there were hundreds of them all over us, is that they had given all that they were to the Lord. Everything. All in. Holding nothing back. Verse 7. Oh, by the way, that, that spiritual, uh, the, the, the act of grace on your part, that's a spiritual gift, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute, but that's a spiritual gift that God gives you. When you have maturity and you're walking with him, he gives you that grace of generosity. Guess who that sounds like? That's God. God's generous. Okay, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, and he's talking to the Corinthians, and he's saying, you guys do this, 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 and you do, you do this, you do that. And he's trying to go through the little list here. But watch what he ends up with. He says, um, since you guys excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love, we have, uh, we have kindled in you. This is the thing that he has done by the word of God, okay, and teaching them. He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving, okay? You know why that's important? It's because it's the acid test. It's the acid test. It's the one thing that nobody wants to give up, okay? And I'm not talking, I'm actually staying to the context. This is a true principle, but the context here is that because, because our pastor and pastors give all that they have, we have a responsibility to take care of them in every single way. That's our job. And by, by the way, that's not easy with Joe. Try to give Joe something. <laughs> it's easier to give it to your kids, so you just take it. Yeah. Sorry, Joe. I just had, yeah. Philippians 4.15. Now, he's talking, to the, um, he's talking to the Philippians church there, one of my favorite pieces here. These people, uh, well, I'll, I'll, it'll be in the next verse. He says, moreover, as the Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, this is when he was leaving them, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you and you only. Okay? He's writing to them. He's telling them this. This was written 10 years after he did that. He met the, Corinthians, he met the Philippians in about 52 AD, which is when the second, the second missionary journey. This is 10 years later. Okay? He is writing this from prison, by the way. He's in a prison in Rome when he writes this. 
And they are sharing with him even there. Now, this word here that we keep, this sharing word we keep running into, the word is koinonia. You're familiar with that word, aren't you? Most of us hear that word koinonia. It means fellowship. Okay? We're all with koinonia this and koinonia. It's a very popular Christian word. But in this thing, this is the verb part of it. And what it means is to partner with, to have a fellowship. And that fellowship is with God. Okay? That's where you get this from, to have a fellowship with God. He says, not one church had a fellowship with me in this manner of giving and receiving except you. He's talking money here. Day one. That means from the time he writes this, he's saying, you have been faithful for 10 years. Okay? Second verse. Second piece. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. This is called soul rapport. Um, this is when you love somebody because of who they are, okay? And that's, um, you know, I, I have a class that I have, and the people in that class, they love the Word of God, and I love those people. They, they bring out the best in me, okay? And Joe feels that same way in this church, is that he has a soul rapport. He loves you, Okay? Paul's talking about that same rapport. He says, remember, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I pray with joy. This is the joy that God gives him because of that rapport that he has with him. He loves them and they love him. Okay? Because of your partnership, that's that word, koinonia, because of your partnership in the gospel. Now, this word here, gospel, means good news, but this is not talking about the salvation gospel. It's talking about all the good news, which is all the word of God, okay? So what, if you think about what he's doing, he's traveling throughout the, the Roman world, which is a dangerous world, as we know. He's died more than a few times. He's been persecuted and everything else, stoned. But he says, from the first day until now, um, being confident of this, that uh, he who began a good work in you will carry it out unto completion until the day of Christ. Now, the first person he ran into, if you remember, was 10 years ago, was with Lydia from this thing right here. So he's talking about that first day, okay, that very first day. Until now, 10 years later, okay, he is confident of this. And look what he says here. He said, you know, I've known this verse forever, and I've always misapplied it until I actually had to do this study. Isn't that how it goes? This good work here, I always used to think applied to every good work. But the context doesn't let you do that. This good work is talking about the, the subject right here is about giving money in this context. It's about the, the relationship between the Philippians and Paul and how they are scrounging their money from, their, from what they have. And they're putting together everything they can. And they're, and they're giving up things to get that money to Paul so that Paul can go out and establish the churches throughout the Roman world. Thank you, Philippians. Thank you that they were there to do that when all the other churches were not there to do that because it allowed Christianity to become the greatest powerful force in the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire. They were worshipers of emperors. They were not good people. But the church flourished in them. Only you. And he says here um, that he who began a good work in you, meaning this specific work, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
What he's saying here is that in the day of Christ Jesus is, is called the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? So he's, what he's letting them know there is that you're going to have this gift. You're going to be this generous. You will support the church because that's who you are. You love your Lord. You can see what a difference it makes. You can see the benefit it has made to you in your life. Okay? And what he's saying here is that you will be rewarded in eternity. Because guess what? The judgment seat of Christ hasn't happened yet, and all these Philippians are dead. What does that mean? It means that, in reality, what they did then in their lifetime will reach all the way over into the future when we all are raptured by the Lord. And we have that judgment seat, and they're in front of him, and he's going to go, great job, thank you. And all these people over here, these millions of people, thank the Philippians because they supported me while I sowed the spiritual seed in gospel. That's what's at risk here. That's what we have. Also note that really interesting is that notice he doesn't say anything specifically about the gift, about what it is. And um, he will, but he doesn't. And the reason he does that is because he doesn't he doesn't want them to send anymore. Isn't that funny? Wouldn't you like to be that? I want to hear Joe say, okay, you know something? Stop giving offerings. We have too much money. We don't know where to put it. Yeah. Probably not going to happen, Joe. Just wanted to, you know. I thought I'd make you laugh about it at least. Um, this is Paul's response to the gift of grace. Um, Philippians 4, 10 um, through 12. He says, I rejoice greatly. This is maximum happiness of God. That's what that is. That's a gift of God. Remember the happiness part we talked about? The gifts of the Holy Spirit? That's this one. Greatly rejoice. That means maximum. Okay? And as you grow in maturity and you grow in Christ, your blessings get maximum. They, they, they get bigger. Your life gets more stable. Um, in the Lord, uh, that at last you renewed your concern for me. This is the next place. Because he's in prison. Okay? He says, indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. And what I realize is that sometimes what need reveals is opportunity. For people who care about people's needs, when a person has a need, it, 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 it's an indication of the responsibility that you have. That makes sense? So when you have somebody who has a tough part in their life, it is your opportunity because of their need to fill that need. And that's a very parallel to what this is here. Okay. Uh, verse 11 says, I am not saying uh, this because I am in need. Because he's not in need anymore. He has lots of money for the rest of his mission. And if you remember after this, when he gets done with the person, he actually goes to what is commonly called the fourth missionary journey. He goes to Spain. He goes back through it. And he evangelizes and starts churches all over the place. Okay? As a result of having the money to do that from the Philippians church, love for him and support of him. But this is what probably I like right here. Um, he says, um, he says, for I have learned to be content uh, whatever the circumstances. I know, now note that he says, I have learned. I have learned. I didn't know it. I have learned. How did he learn it? He learned it through the word of God. That's where you get contentment from. You get contentment from applying the word of God. That's how you get it. You don't, human beings don't know how to be content. Look at the world. The word of God teaches contentment, okay? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be like a need. I know what it is like to have plenty. I have learned the secret. 
of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Do you have that kind of happiness? Are you content with any circumstance that happened? How about last week? Let's take one day, right? I'm just messing with you. Um, When we get our lives ruffled, whatever that ruffling is, it is God telling us that we have work to do. That's what it is. Because this man tells us, I have learned to be content in all circumstances, whether I have little or I have a lot, whether I have food or I don't have food. Okay? It's a secret, and that secret is written in the Word of God, ready to be revealed to you by our pastor, by teachers, by your ability to, to actually show up and listen to it, take notes, actually accept it as truth, actually apply it in your life. That's what you do, right? That's what you do with the truth. Have you learned the secret? Conclusion. I bet you're doing the drum roll for this one, huh? Philippians 4, 18 and 19. I have received full payment. Now, that's an interesting word. One, um, he's saying he doesn't want any money, but I have received full payment. What he is telling them, and look at the context from the original context we talked about from Galatians 6, 6 there. That context is that you owe, by God's allegiance, you owe a responsibility to take care of in our case, our pastor, in this case, Paul is the apostle, and Timothy, and Epaphroditus, and these guys. You have a responsibility. And I have received that fully. He said they more have met their goal. Okay? Full payment. And have more than enough. That he has no needs. He now knows that he can complete his missionary journey, which will take years. Okay? I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is the pastor of Philippi. That's who he is. And he was trusted to bring that gift of money by the Philippian church all the way to Rome. Now, if you know where Philippi is at and you know where Rome is at, you know that's a long distance to bring that amount of money. But he was trusted with it. And if you know anything about the rest of Epaphroditus, almost died doing God's work. Okay, he was very close. Paphroditus, I received from Paphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. This is God's response. What he's doing here, he's telling the Philippians that what you did, that this is God's response. Okay, God's response is that it is a fragrant offering. Okay, an acceptable sacrifice. Was it a sacrifice? You bet it was. For them more than most. Actually, for them more than all in reality. And he says, pleasing to God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I want to know that what I've done with my time is I want to know I've pleased God. I want it more than anything. There's nothing I want more at all. I would give it all up just to hear those words. I'd give everything I've ever had to hear those words from my Lord when I show up. Okay? And he's telling them they did it. This is the promise that follows on it. Okay? And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. You know how much the riches of God are? A lot. Okay? They're infinite. There's nothing. And they're not just money. 
they go on for everything. God has the ability to put you in a peace that passes all understanding, that gives you a contentment and happiness that is not understandable by anybody. And all those riches are due those who are faithful to him. Okay? God's the best partner. Okay? The promises of God to the generous giver are given both in time and in eternity. God cannot lavish his blessings on the stingy Christian. He cannot lavish them on those people who have no regard for those who teach this great truth. The reason he doesn't is because it would destroy them. A lot of times we think that God does not do things because he doesn't want to. God loves even believers who are stingy. He loves them. And to give them money would be to destroy their lives because they don't have the maturity to handle it. It won't bless them. It destroys them. So many times when we pray for such things, God does not answer us, give us the answer to our prayer because he loves us too much to watch us destroy ourselves. Okay? Last piece. Paul is telling the Galatians and us that if we are generous towards God's servants, of which Joe is ours, they will reap a generous reward of God's blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you will, you will be first in our lives. You'll be number one. That we will put you above all things. That everything else is just details. I know, Lord, that you are so wonderful that when we do this, you will bless us more than we've ever imagined. You will give us a contentment and a peace and a happiness that cannot be explained. I pray, Lord, that we will be very careful to understand that we are in a church, a wonderful church, that we have a wonderful pastor, and we have people who serve here and love our congregation. I pray, Lord, for a response like that of the Philippian church, the rapport of soul, that they will think about you first, and then because of that thought, they will respond in kind towards everyone who leads here. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.